0: welcome to the quantum growth podcast empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership strategy and practice management now here are your co-hosts shenandoah connor and Barron's hall of fame top advisor jonathan cutton welcome everyone to the quantum growth for financial advisors podcast we are excited to be back once again with another great guest Always with me as my co-host is Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Say hi, John.
1: Hey, Shenandoah, Hey everyone, happy to be here today. It is a snowy day here in New York. Um, I am super excited to have what's actually become a good personal friend. Um, when I bring certain guests on, I just wonder how much we'll bicker uh, on air here a little bit. So we'll see. Uh, But I wanted to formally introduce Scott Wetzel. Uh, Scott is with Skyview Partners and um, really excited that he took some time out today to join us. So, Scott, I wanted to give you the opportunity to just introduce yourself and tell our audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about what what you do.
2: John, first, I am absolutely honored to be a guest uh, uh, on the podcast uh, today. So, and sorry to hear about your snowy troubles. It's a uh, it's a challenging sixty five degrees here in Southern California, and um, being a uh, northern Minnesota native, I'm enjoying it. So let's let's get after it out here today, right? Uh, so very briefly uh, on Skyview, what we do, who we are. Uh, we own a listing company, which is the Advisory Practice Board of Exchange, or more simply APBOE. Which, if you're not aware of it, currently APBOE is We've tried to create a Zillow-like experience for sellers to list their practices throughout the country, and then advisors as buyers to go on for absolutely no fee whatsoever, register as buyers, and really compete for practices. Uh, In addition to that, we own an investment bank domiciled in Southern California, uh, very strategically, obviously, uh, that right now I think we're working on. Uh, 12 sell-side engagements all over the country. I think we have three right now in California alone, uh, as well as our primary uh, source of revenue and where we, we were founded is around our credit facility in Minneapolis. And by the way, all three companies are solely based on the RAA marketplace. We we don't finance accounting practices, insurance practices. so We don't invest investment banking for any of those practices. We are solely focuses on the wealth management industry. It's all that we know. We know it well, we don't know anything else. So we're not comfortable uh, providing investment banking or financing services to anything outside of our industry.
1: So you're, you're not very busy, Scott. You don't have too much going on. It sounds like,
2: you know, yeah, you know, it's, it's been, th- things are, uh, things have been good busy, right? Uh, so it's a good thing. We were all quarantined and I've more than enough time to just work, right? So it's, especially in LA, you can't even leave your, your house. So it's great. No,
1: and I'm, I'm teasing, of course, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting as I'm hearing you kind of explain um, the different facets of your business. It sounds like you have kind of all different aspects of anything succession planning, kind of tied into the business, right? APBOE is kind of a listing platform, it sounds like, Zillow, like as you shared, And then it sounds like from the investment banking perspective you're involved in kind of putting deals together from the sell side so to speak and then lastly it sounds like you know the the founding of your business uh was actually helping advisors uh finance right transactions and i just wanted to clarify for my own purposes you mentioned the ria space i'm assuming you help ria's independent financial advisors anyone who really owns uh, a practice that they've got true equity in. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, that, that's, that's correct. And it's just a, a signal that I spend too much of my time talking to bankers and not advisors these days, and they refer to us all as RIAs. So I yep. try to keep it as simple as possible for our banks. And just, uh, we, we don't get into the nuances, but absolutely. you know, I'd say 80 plus percent of our, our clients have some type of hybrid model uh, out there. Very few are, are true pure RAs.
1: Gotcha. Good. No, and that that's what I figured. I just wanted to make sure I understood it correctly. So, you know, maybe we'll go in the order you mentioned things. Like, so tell us a little bit more um, about APBOE um, and maybe again, what it stands for, but tell us a little bit about kind of what, what you guys do there.
2: So as you pointed out, you know, our bread and butter is the finance biz at uh, at, at Skyview. Started, started the business around recognizing that Uh, Live Oak Bank is our number one competitor and they do a tremendous job right but there was only really one provider in the marketplace and uh, at the time only providing SBA loans. Uh, We we came in the marketplace uh, and and provide conventional non-SBA which there are advantages to both programs but commonly if you qualify for conventional you don't need a government guaranteed product and we won't get into the nuances of the differences but and in some cases we utilize an SBA product. But as we became more, you know, entrenched in the financing business, we felt that there were some holes in the M&A process as buyer and seller were making their way towards uh, Skyview Finance. The first is that we felt that sellers were coming to market and experiencing an adverse uh, seller experience with the current uh mediums or platforms that were in the market that um, were more like a listing board service and and less of uh, a service that was more accommodating to those sellers so we we built apboe with uh still not a very clear picture of how, how we're going to create any revenue around that entity but creating a neutral marketplace for buyers sellers to participate uh, that anyone can list the practice on APBOA and anyone can become a buyer uh, on APBOA and at no point are they charged any fee whatsoever with, from Skyview. Uh, so I strongly recommend if you are in the business of acquiring more practices, I believe, I was looking today, I think we have 14 engagements uh, throughout the country, uh, roughly uh, today uh, on APBOE, and register as a buyer, probably take you 15, 20 minutes uh, to get registered. Then we do assign a purchasing power score to each buyer. I think you're doing quite well in this category, not surprisingly. Uh, and, and in terms of it, we do also post a national a ranking. Oh, you fell to number two in the country. So I, I, I hope uh, that doesn't offend you too greatly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw that. I want to meet who number one is. <laughs> I don't know who they are at all. And, and, and candidly, I don't know Besides yourself, I think I can recognize two or three other names, but that's the intent of the marketplace. I mean, it, these are not existing clients to, um, to Skyview Investment Bank or finance it, 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 not all of them uh, at any one point. And this is just a programmatic scoring system that is extremely helpful to us. And when we get to the investment banking side, that when we've got 120 different firms expressing an indication of interest in a seller practice, The purchasing power scores a way for us to quickly in a very automated and programmatic fashion source the best buyers for each opportunity so when we have a seller we can literally say we can source you know 120 150 200 different prospective buyers very quickly uh, utilizing that programmatic solution.
0: And maybe um, it might make sense to go in a little bit deeper about the purchasing power, like what factors are impacting? And, and so like if, if a potential advisor is looking to get in the acquisition space, you know, and you're here and we know, John, I'm sorry, John, that you're number two today, but I'm sure you'll be back to number one soon. But what actually influences that score and, and how might advisors improve that score?
2: So I, I believe there's 62 different data points and I've seen the spreadsheet that our credit team built and building this out and that I'm not gonna claim to fully understand it yet. I believe it is producing uh, representative scoring. Uh, I will warn everyone as well that uh, we, we're most concerned with uh, grade inflation that not everyone's gonna be A plus. So a score in the sevens is, ex- is exceptionally high in a, in a range of 10. But we're we're looking at um, things, you know, the size of the practice, obviously, uh, how long the advisor has been in business. Um, Have they done other acquisitions in the past? Have they retained financing in the past? Are they credit worthy? You know, that's one of the options that you can do with the scoring is we can perform a a soft credit poll to see if you're actually uh, uh, can retain bank financing. Uh, But as you go through, it's a lot of things around. Do you have an investment philosophy? What's your service model philosophy? Uh, Do you have a team in place that's scalable to actually purchase another practice or your solo practitioner that would really kind of preclude you from acquiring a more ensemble practice? Unless, of course, you're willing to uh, accommodate those employees in the in the overall practice that builds that score out for each individual advisor or practice.
1: Yeah, so I appreciate the clarity. Um, and I, you know, as you had mentioned, um, you know, interestingly enough for the audience, I met Scott in working on an acquisition and looking for some financing and uh, you know, was extremely helpful in, in, in getting that all situated. Um, but Scott encouraged me. I didn't even know AP, APBOE, try to say that 10 times fast, actually um, uh, you know, existed. But um, it's, it's a really cool platform in that it's free, which is pretty cool. Um, and it's open to anyone. And there's lots of listings on there. So I'm actually engaging, as you know, Scott, in a couple of the acquisition opportunities now um, that are on there as a marketplace. And it seems like you know, other folks uh, who actually have businesses in the succession planning world list some of their practices maybe from time to time on there as well. So it really is kind of a, a cool idea. And I love the concept of really this, um, you know, this kind of ranking, if you will, of someone's ability to acquire certain size businesses, which if you're a seller looking to list your practice, uh, it really allows you to understand who you're dealing with. So you're not Kind of dealing with a tire kicker that might not have the bandwidth uh, to actually execute when you get to the finish line. So um, I think that's, that's uh, you know, worth noting.
2: Well, and that's where we, we heard the greatest amount of angst from prospective sellers is that they had placed their name on a listing board service and then they received, you know, 5,000 emails and they didn't know who was a good prospective buyer and who, who was not and trying to manage that, that process. Uh, And I will encourage, uh, you know, all advisors to register as well as if you look, you know, a a lot of buyers or I'm sorry, sellers are interested in a buyer that's close to them and in in proximity. And I just pulled up Indiana as an example. We have two people on the leaderboard in Indiana, right, that have actually gone through the process. So if you're an advisor in Indiana, um, (laughs) you know, you're going to go to the top of the list really quick just by registering with the site. Obviously, New York's a lot more competitive, California's a lot more competitive, but just if your score is not posting on the national leaderboard and you're not in the top 50, uh, you know we're we're still you know, a lot of our buyers want us to talk to somebody local, and uh, so I strongly recommend everybody to register. If you come up with a score that doesn't seem to make sense, we do have a buyer representative uh, uh, center that uh, the individual will help you work on your score, to get you the best possible score given the metrics that, that you provide.
0: No, excellent. Well, and kind of along those lines, I mean, you've already touched briefly on some of, you know, you built this because of some things that you were seeing happening in MA. What other trends or or how else has MA evolved over this, uh, the last few years, um, especially, you know, considering the pandemic and and last year, what happened?
2: Uh, we certainly saw an increase in activity from uh, applicants coming and looking for financing, as, as well as I think we saw an increased appetite from, from sellers coming to market. And historically, uh, David Grau Sr., who I consider the godfather of uh, RIA or, or uh, wealth manager uh, m a points out that only about 2% of independents and RIAs actually retire and experience a liquidity event at retirement, which you know, from my standpoint, being a wealth management and working with the warehouses, regionals, everybody over the last 25 years, well, their warehouse peers all get to experience this great liquidity event when they sell their practice right back to Merrill at the end of their their career. Uh, and, and we really need that that number to, to change over time. And with the entire marketplace needs it to change. And that 2% just seemed very odd to me. And I think there was a couple of problems and we felt the number one problem is there was no financing available, right? That if you're an advisor and you want to sell your practice, you had hundred million in AUM and you're doing a million bucks and you, that 2 million you have to get it over a seller note over four to six years. And, so we, when we brought in bank financing, the option to get hundred uh, percent bank financing at closing, maybe subject to some uh, holdback provisions, assuming the sale goes well, the conversion goes well, we felt that would bring more sellers to market, and I, I believe it it has. Uh, and then over time, also making it more a more appealing, uh, you know, process, and that's what we try to do through Apple, that they can list anonymously and also with a specialized investment bank that all we do is work with uh, independent advisors and help them acquire practices. But at the end of the day, um, the demographics point towards a marketplace where we should see a a lot more activity than we're even seeing right now, even with the pandemic. And I have to point out, I think it's the fault of of all of us, all of us looking to buy from sellers, Um, but we're not going in with the right messaging uh, clearly john has some messaging down that's very successful uh but and it, overall the messaging that we hear from many buyers they go and say yeah hey, well, well i'll give you this and that and then you go away and then forget about it and they forget to you know really talk to the seller and say like hey recognize you built this over the last 20 30, 40 years this is your baby this is your identity and it's look this is sales this is like what advisors are good at and for whatever reason they've decided not to utilize that charm and sales approach when they're talking to prospective sellers Of just saying like hey you know what are you planning on doing over what timeline and then what do you want you know your professional and personal life to look like post transaction instead of just going to you know sellers and saying hey i'm going to write you a check or you're going to finance this thing, you're going to go away well most don't want that most still want to be able to go to the office and uh it's important to ask those questions and really Get into listening to what the seller actually wants, or that two percent number is not going to change.
1: Yeah, Scott. I mean, really well said. You know, kind of that's you know, I guess the industry calls it the stay and sell and stay now, right? Um, Seems to be becoming a lot more prevalent, and a lot of the transactions that we've done of late are you know acquiring advisors and retaining them uh, just in a slightly different capacity, uh, but really able to do the work that they like to do Uh, and it's interesting you say that Um, i think so many advisors you know we get the questions a lot around just like you know why can't i find practices when i do you know i don't win them and it's because they're in the the weeds right they're focusing on you know uh, the price and the terms and uh you know tripping over five percent in price or ten percent in price as opposed to seeing the big picture of actually you know, how hard it was for that person selling their baby, as you said, uh, to build that thing over 20, 30, 40 years. So couldn't agree more. Um, I just want a, a quick shift of gears as I often do. Um, as we're talking together, and you and I have talked a lot, I could share, I actually don't know exactly what you mean when you say you've got this investment banking division. So maybe you can just share um, what that means. like what what do you do if if an advisor kind of engages that part of your organization i think that would be helpful
2: well candidly when i bought it i didn't know either so i've i've, I've come up to speed now uh so from the investment banking standpoint we, we only do uh sell site engagements uh so we're working with sellers and helping them with the process of identifying again how they w- would like to sell their practice over what time period and for what price And then after determining that, we're building out a complete uh, client pitch book. And then we are sorting through prospective buyers through Apple. We've got about 2,500 registered today. Uh, Then we post that listing on uh, APBOE. And at that point, then we will source prospective buyers, um, go through that list. And we have the three different screening um, stages for each down to creating a finalist group that is determined by the seller if they want to talk to six prospective buyers or three or whatever the number is, and then uh, verifying and validating all the information from those in individuals uh, and helping a seller negotiate the best possible transaction. The also added advantage that we have from an investment banking standpoint is our insight into um, bank financing. So a key part of the process is we will pull in all these sellers' financials. And the first question we, we put to our credit team is how much bank financing is available for this practice alone prior to adding another balance sheet? And actually that came from a client we had a couple of years ago. She came in with a one to seller practice for two and a half million dollars in, in Ohio. And she asked a really smart question and said, well, how much bank financing does my practice qualify for a loan? How much is my collateral in essence? And we said, well, that's a really good question. Let's figure that out, right? <laughs> and we've we've done it ever since. And in that case, she was looking to sell for 2.5. We went in and did the uh, credit analysis and found that her uh, enterprise value and free cash flow uh, accommodated uh, 2.5 million bank financing. So by adding an external buyer, with a strong balance sheet, she actually ended up selling the practice for three million. Um, so it's a crucial part of our process. You know, we need to get a third-party valuation. Um, you know, that's important for LTV uh, calculations. But really, at the end of the day, it's up to buyer and seller to determine that price. As long as a bank agrees with it, um, we've seen multiples increase um, quite discernibly by um, including bank financing, and that's pretty intuitive, right? If you inject liquidity into a market and longer amortization periods, prices go up.
0: No, excellent. And I think, um, I, you touched on it twice now about the bank financing piece and I I know we've talked about it in a previous podcast too but I still feel like a lot of advisors really don't understand the bank financing and how it works in acquisitions and what they need to do to prepare for that. They think that they can go to any lender or somebody in their networking group and they can get financing and um, they're also tend to be not prepared for all the things they have to bring to to show that they're credit worthy. You mentioned that word earlier so can you touch on that a little bit about, you know, what they need to look for and, and what they need to do to prepare? Because I, I think bank financing is definitely where a lot of acquisitions are going today.
2: Uh, no, no, th- that's definitely the case that uh, when we came into the marketplace, the, the billion dollar question for whether Skyview Finance would work was not for lack of demand from advisors. You know, they're, they're looking for financing, uh, bank financing, and they, and they should be provided with financing. But banks historically were very reluctant to provide financing to advisors because bankers uh, are still stuck in the fact that they like tangible collateral. And I can't tell you how many bank uh, boardrooms that we've been thrown out of partially because of my personality, but no, but that we'd go in and we come out and we just joke and we say the same thing every time no tractors, no silos. We can get these advisors to buy some tractors and silos, they'd finance the steel, right? Because advisory practices have exceptional cash flow. We see the average EBOC uh, earnings before owners comp about 48%. It's good business again, right? That's a lot of cash flow to service uh, uh, monthly debt payments. But when we went to the industry, the experience of bankers, and I don't want um, your listeners to be offended here, but I was offended. They they said that financial advisors and their experience were very unorganized, which I thought was odd. They're dealing with Fred's pizza parlor, Jerry's car wash, and you're telling me that they're better at this? And we found out is that is in fact true, but it's to no fault of the financial advisor they just never been extended financing before. So therefore, of course, they have no experience in this process. They have experience with mortgage, um, maybe a commercial real estate deal, but you know, in, in limited instances, and, and where our team really helps the Skyviews helps the, the advisor understand and get prepared to properly present your application to we have 32 network banks on a digitized lender marketplace to make sure we find the best bank for you. We do have the luxury today as well as I think we only have two competitors, maybe three in the space, Live Oak being most uh, prominent. Uh, And I can tell you we have a great relationship with, I couldn't have a better relationship with our top competitors, they're really great people. They look at credit very differently than we do. Um, And we send a lot of biz their way and vice versa. But it's really about helping the advisor find the right solution. And the other thing we hear is advisors will say, well, I've got my local banker I wanna go talk to and I'll get back to you. we always say, okay, um, you know, best of luck with that. And no matter how great their relationship is, a local banker, banks, what advisors need to understand is your local bank, regardless of their size, would need to build out an entire credit policy and procedure and have that approved by uh, sometimes the board of directors or the credit committee to do one loan. So, are they interested in going through that entire process to approve one loan? Uh, Absolutely not. And why banks have been willing to partner with Skyview is that we have a mutual commitment, whether it's 25 million or 250 million of capacity they're interested in doing that makes it worth their while to build out that policy. So that's a really long answer, like usual, after I've had too much coffee. Uh, However, um, that's where we help in the process and and the best way to start APBOE go on, it'll kind of signal the things that you should have ready that you should have prepared and then we, at no point, will collect documentation we need for the financing process. But then we get in the financing process. We educate the buyer on the exact documents we need to prepare the best package for them or presentation to banks.
1: Yeah. So Scott, um, really helpful. I, I, sometimes doing these podcasts, the best part about it is I actually get to slow down for you know forty-five minutes or so. And you know, you and I, like I said, have known each other for a little bit here. So it sounds like, um, you know, just to kind of make it what I call cut and simple so I can understand it, uh, as I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, as as you both probably know, from an investment banking perspective, you guys are outsourcing deals, right? And sellers are coming to you, hopefully, or you're out there finding them saying, hey, we can actually help represent you as the seller um, and bring to you qualified advisors to kind of tee up that number one, are capable um, to bring on your business, right? That actually have the ability and bandwidth to serve more clients, which some advisors aren't prepared uh, to actually acquire a business. And then secondarily, you've got this platform where you are not necessarily a bank lending money, but you've got 32, I think you had said, uh, lenders that you've got connectivity and relationships to, to be able to source the right, bank or lending partner uh for the ultimate buyer. Is that is that a good synopsis of kind of what you guys do?
2: You you said it much better, more succinctly than I can. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, man, why don't you just tell me what you did all these years? Jeez, it was that, that easy all along I don't
2: know. I mean, you know, you get in the you get in the woods and all I see is trees every day. You know, you probably feel the same way. I'm looking at trees every day and it's yeah. I, I got to see the forest. Thank you. I, I got to write that down. Can I got to I, gotta, I gotta listen to this.
0: Well, this we do have it recorded, just FYI. You will be able to listen to this again and then you can you memorize your, your spiel for next time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I could turn this into simple. a script for you. If I, I could turn it into a script for you if you'd like, Scott. Nope. This will um, be your new so side late.
0: gig, John.
1: <laughs> so, no, and I'm teasing, of course. I, I think I had most of the pieces, but honestly, it, it's helpful to kind of connect the dots. Um, I was probably embarrassed to ask you, like, what do you mean investment banking? To me, uh, investment banking means something a little different, but, uh, with that being said, um, so, you know, what are you seeing in the marketplace, Scott, right? So we've got, you know, COVID and, uh, stock market that's booming and interest rates that are low and, uh, you know, at least 32 banks, I guess that you've identified that will lend to financial advisors, um. You know, are you seeing a lot of activity? Is it picking up? Is it slowing down? Are valuations up, down, sideways? Like, what what is your crystal ball seeing, or what
2: is it seeing, and, and what do you see in the future? So we're certainly seeing a surge in m and activity as a result of, of COVID. Uh, number one, we we kind of were clearly very concerned. In February, we we actually closed zero transactions. In February 2020 market pause, stop. Right, everybody just said, well, what, what, what's going to happen then? We saw applications, I think we saw 600 million in originations last year alone. So a lot of advisors said, okay, I've had it. This, you know, I don't wanna go through another storm. And now we're seeing a a similar um, surge due to prospective uh, uh, tax proposals from the Biden administration. And there's certainly an urgency to get transactions completed prior to year end this year uh, on on both sides of the house. Um, From a financing standpoint, we are seeing our banks continue to drive down the cost of capital as they become more familiar with the this space. And I can tell you, the billion-dollar question that banks always ask us is, "Well, this is great, you know, and it seems like Live Oak's portfolio has done well, but we've never witnessed, um, you know, th- these borrowers through uh, an adverse market." Well, uh, 2020 provided the opportunity for financial advisors to. Prove their veracity as borrowers. And we experienced absolutely zero loan loss and not even in a one late loan payment, which is basically unheard of relative to other industries as you can probably imagine. Um, so the access to financing has increased. The cost of capital has gone down. The number of sellers coming to marketplace is increasing as well. And we are certainly in a position where we are of the opinion that, that practices are currently undervalued and I know that people are actively engaged in buying uh that's I am not uh you know their favorite person but you got to keep in mind if you own a practice right now I'm also telling you that's worth a lot more um but as as you add bank financing it's like any market if you're going door to door and asking people to sell their house on a contract for deed well it kind of mutes the price also you come with a 30-year mortgage people are going to afford a lot more. If I, mean, if I was looking at a five-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage, I'd be living in a totally different neighborhood right now, right? And that's a bad analogy, but it's close to the point that uh, you inject liquidity into a marketplace and prices are going to rise. And our average investment banking engagement is priced at about a 3.5 multiple on revenue right now today. And we're closing those transactions. So prices are increasing. And the last part of it is, is you know, the PE community is, you know, we're very anti PE and, and PE back consolidators and um, they they promote a narrative uh, out there that, pro- that practices are overvalued through the market which is absolutely not the case. And give me one example of where PE is going in and buying up any other industry that's overvalued. I mean, these are these are smart people, right? They're not terribly entertaining or engaging but they're smart nerds and they buy up a lot of practices and tell advisors their practice isn't worth anything. We believe the opposite.
1: Yeah, no, well said. And I would say, if I put my advisor hat on, um, we probably have Shenandoah to lead out the part where you talked about undervalue uh, practices. <laughs> um, edit that out. But if I put on my consultant hat and the purpose of this podcast, I think you're spot on. I, and, and you know, I, I would just phrase what you said is all the rationale why lots of advisors are really bad at becoming buyers of practices. It's a cash flow game, really, right? And when when you really think about it, um, I think you put it really well, right? When you're thinking about a five-year mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage, it's just a cash flow game. So years ago, you you were buying a business and there was a seller note over three years and uh, you know, that's how you created the value. You basically needed the cash flow in a three-year period to cover the cost, right? So if rates are low and duration is seven, 10 years uh, in a lot of cases, and I want you to confirm that that's where a lot of these deals are done for me, um, then yeah, if, if you can make the thing create more cash flow, it just sounds like it makes sense that the value to the seller is, is higher because everything ultimately when you put it on the spreadsheet works out. Is that where you're seeing a lot of your banking uh, going? Is it seven to 10 year notes or are they longer, shorter?
2: So we have codified uh, our terms and conditions to uh, help the, the bank to make it more scalable to all the banks that each deal is not different, right? So in every case, we're looking at a seven year term and 10 year amortization schedule uh, for, for every possible transaction. And kind of related, but not related point, interesting stat from last year that only 13% of our uh, closings required any buyer equity infusion at all. And of that 13%, uh, the average was only 15% of buyer equity needed. And um, it is uh, definitely advantageous to the uh, credit process when we're talking about external acquisitions versus internal. Internals benefit from continuity of Personnel and philosophy. Whereas, when you're talking about an external acquirer, you're bringing two balance sheets together, and those transactions typically, to your point, cash flow very, very well. And I always point out to buyers that um, your your ability to acquire and obtain financing is only limited to your ability to find uh, collateral and cash flow and practices to acquire.
1: Yeah, no, it, it makes total sense. You know, the you referenced a client of yours that was a seller, right? Who I think kind of asked you to do this and, and determine uh, what her borrow power was from her own practice. And you know, it just if you start thinking about it mathematically, right? If you have seven years or ten a 10 year amortization, right, um, to pay off something that you're giving in your words a minute ago, call it a three and a half times multiple which is quite frankly higher uh, than most of what I hear in the industry, you just spreadsheet that, you know, most advisors' businesses uh, are not that top heavy from a payroll and expense perspective. So these things are gonna cash flow out over and over and over again, uh, which seems to be your thesis, If correct me if I'm wrong, as to why they might be more valuable.
2: Yep, uh, you don't give yourself enough credit. You, you get this and really fully understand this well. Uh, and, and that's exactly how it works. Uh, that, the, the, these deals absolutely cash flow, and you know, from buyer and seller standpoint, uh, you know, you get the seller that gets immediate liquidity. From buyer standpoint, you know, you're looking at a longization period, and you're you're probably in the black in year one when you're doing all this work instead of a three year seller note. That you know, you're in the red those first three years when you're going through all the pain and moving the practice, and and also you probably don't have a lot of sellers even interested in doing the contract for deed transaction,
1: right? Yeah, no, totally agree, and uh, I think I heard a compliment in, in there. So thank you. I don't get a lot of those from you, uh, so I, it's I not easy that.
2: with you. It's it's challenging. You know, it's not.
1: Yes, but I pick up on them, don't I? Which is good. So I I I I, I heard it, and I'm going to take it, and now it's recorded. So that's a that's a good thing. So oh, I forgot about that yeah yeah I mean, you won't be able to shit.
0: live it down now sorry
1: as uh, no, no, no. long as I don't all, see it print anywhere I'm good right <laughs> we we all need oh, shenandoah t- transcribes all these as well so yes it'll be all over Scott Wetzel yeah. thinks I'm great I heard it that's great so let me ask you this Scott I mean um you got a lot of stuff going on right and um i I, I feel like you've really um positioned yourself let me throw a compliment back at you I guess here we go. Um, well in that you're kind of swimming in the middle of where I think the industry's going, right? So you know you talk about, you know, red oceans and blue oceans. I feel like your position kind of in, in a blue ocean, right? Where uh, there's lots of opportunity ahead. Where are you headed? Like what what's next? It seems like you, you're an entrepreneurial guy. Share, like, where do you see this thing going? What do you what's what's your, you know, what's your ultimate goal? Where you're trying to take this business, but you don't mind us sharing?
2: Well, I promised our bank that we, we, I wouldn't acquire any more businesses this year, start any new ones. And that's going to be a challenge for me. Well, I mean, we're two months in and I don't think I'm going to make it. I mean, I I don't think it's possible. I mean, as soon as we get this investment bank streamlined and get processes and procedures done here, uh, I can't help myself. Uh, From from the M&A standpoint, you know, I I think we're in a good spot, but at the end of the day, it's still frustrating. We're not seeing enough transactions relative to demographics. We're just not seeing it. And that's a um, that that's all of our responsibility that we have a lot of people out there giving the correct messaging to prospective sellers that they can, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a couple of prospective big sellers this afternoon. I still tell them the same thing every time. Just tell me who you want to sell to, at what price, number, what time horizon, and if you'd like us to help. And it's that simple, right? And th- they're in charge and and, and I'll say this, that it, if you put yourself in their position and help uh, identify that at some point, John, you and I don't like to recognize this, but we'll be in a position to sell our businesses. And uh, I know from working with you and, and from my standpoint, I'll be a terrible client. I, you know, I'm going to be emotional. I mean, I, I don't have a life outside of this and I kind of doubt you do too. And this is everything I do, right? I mean, you know, what, what am I going to do? So you got to identify with the seller that this is a very emotional transaction um, and then w- where are we going from here? We just need volume of transactions to increase. And we, we need these practices to stop being kind of like uh, faded and dwindled down to nothing over time. And we talked to a 74 uh, year old advisor this week about selling. And fortunately he just didn't have enough left there to make it a viable transaction for anyone. And had he come to us five, 10 years earlier he had a great practice. But at this point it's really not it, candidly, it was not something we accepted as an investment banking client uh, because there really wasn't, it wasn't a very enticing opportunity for us or, or a prospective buyer. Um, but I will tell you, when I finally can get things going, we are working on a private label banking solution that we are going to be uh, providing a platform for uh, financial advisors to compete with the warehouses. You ask questions, I, I got to tell you, this is where we're headed. Uh, I do have a call today around this, which is Skyview Plus, which will be a platform that doesn't have our name on it. It uh, will be Cutting Wealth Management, if you so decide to be a part of the platform, enable you to offer uh, cash spending accounts, uh, credit cards, and four or five different offerings, uh, lending in the form of personal, student, mortgage, auto, insurance in the form of auto life, you name it, and all in a private label experience through an app and online that you'll be able to successfully compete with the warehouse advisor in a comprehensive approach to financial advice and not just investment and financial planning, but also banking advice, which I actually went and looked up in the Edgar database on banking advice and no one has ever trademarked it. Why? Because no one offers it. Banks just offer their own proprietary product, and that's what they give you. Well, we have the luxury of knowing which banks are good at mortgage, which ones are good at lines of credit, which ones are good at S-Block, bringing them all together in a marketplace for advisors to offer their clients and offer kind of like an Amazon of banking, but all private label with your name on it. So yeah, I got a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah, that's a cool idea. So as an independent advisor, let's say you've got your own RIA, right? You're... One of the concerns to go maybe leave that wirehouse, right, is how do I provide all these ancillary benefits that the wirehouse or bank in most cases, right, actually provides? So, what you're saying is you're going to go out, bundle that together, and then allow Acme Wealth Management to private label that to their clientele, and you're kind of behind the scenes operating
2: it. Uh, uh, absolutely, we're we're basically just providing the API infrastructure, and, and I'll say I don't know how to power off and on my my iPhone successfully, uh, nor log on to a Zoom meeting without a lot of hiccups each time. So as we venture into starting a fintech, it's it's challenging. But what I'm learning is the fintech community is really just like Legos, where you put together these different APIs to provide you know Plaid for one service, um, Galileo for another service. And you're you're kind of these building blocks of different APIs, and you just you get them all to work together to provide the best solution. And then marketplace technology for each loan uh, uh, sector or vertical um, that really provide a, a super competitive offering uh, for the independent advisor to really say like, hey, we're not just offering B of A products. Uh, um, we can go out and source this in a, in a marketplace if you're looking for, you know, a, a remodeling loan. We, we will have ten different banks to choose from that in real time competing for that business. And the number one reason why wireless advisors don't go independent is they're concerned about losing the banking business for with their clients because that that makes for a very sticky client. Um so and and also for the financial advisor, you want more transparency into the complete financial picture of your client. This will truly provide that that you'll have view only access to that entire portal from the client. and and essentially, uh act almost as if the, the financial uh your your office can serve as almost like a bank branch and every essence
1: love it i'm getting your shtick scott
2: you you actually play dumb and you're really really smart i got it i got it i think i'm better at playing dumb though i'm good at that you know and i have my moments <laughs> right i mean that's no. that's that's my primary that's how i'm typecast <laughs> I, I love
1: it man no listen you are uh Certainly, one of the things I've always uh, respected about you is you're an entrepreneur helping entrepreneurs, right? And that's, I I think you get, um, you know, as someone who buys businesses, like you mentioned before, not necessarily, you know, wealth management firms, but in your own kind of industry there, you get what it's like to be a buyer uh, and certainly are a a super successful uh, entrepreneur. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what's next, Scott. We haven't known each other for all that long. Um, But I've been, you know, really impressed with everything that you're doing. So congrats on all your success. So before we wrap things up here, um, I found today to be super intriguing. Anything that we didn't ask that maybe you were hoping we did or anything that you wanted to share? And then I know Shenandoah will certainly kind of wrap things up with how to kind of find you and APBOE and uh, all of the organizations that you are, are part of.
2: Anything that we missed perhaps? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I, I think the main thing for people, and you know, if you ask a room of 100 advisors, you know, who's a buyer? It doesn't matter their age or, or the position that you know, you know, 99% raise their hand as a prospective buyer. I'd say that um, the next step is actually take take action. You know, we're, we're not asking for a thousand dollars a year in subscription fees to join APBOA. Just go out, join the marketplace, learn what to do to get prepared. So if you do find an opportunity, uh, or or we source an opportunity for you that you're actually prepared to do so. And that, that process will help you get prepared. And I guess everything we've built has tried to create greater efficiencies in the M&A process for the independent community between the listing, the investment banking and financing. We built as much technology and processes and procedures to make that as efficient a marketplace as possible from beginning to end. So we just need more participants.
1: Yeah, I'll give you my my little uh, shameless selling for you. It's, uh, you know, there's so many advisors out there that either are thinking about selling their business or looking to buy businesses, right, um, that just complain that they're not, they can't find them or there's no buyer for me or whatever it may be. Um, you've made it turnkey, right? So um, it'd be kind of be foolish for free not to actually have a listing uh, and bet your business and be in that ecosystem. So I I would highly recommend it as well. So Scott, with that, um, thank you very much for joining. It was fun teasing you a little bit. And uh, I guess you're on my show, so you didn't tease back the way you normally do, which you could, but- uh, but, There is um, a lot of material there.
0: Everybody likes to take at least one shot at John in each podcast. I think it's just part of our shtick now. We gotta do it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I bring it on. But with that, we've muted Scott out for the rest of the podcast here. So shut it down. I
0: was wondering
2: when you were going to do that.
0: Well, right. actually, really quick before we do that, Scott, if people wanted to find out more and get in contact with you or with Skyview, where would they go to do that?
2: Uh, it's just skyview.com. Uh, and then you'll find all the links to Apo and And that provides you with insight into all of our three services between listing, investment banking, and financing. Um, as well as my new corporate headshot that John uh, relentlessly gives me a hard time about, uh, just because I lost weight for about a one-month period, then gained it all back. But I got a picture in during that time, um, so I, I, I've been I trying to wonder, encourage him I, to get an ulcer too. <laughs> I,
1: I just thought it could have been maybe a younger brother of yours. That's all, and quite frankly, I'm jealous of a
2: really good head of hair that you have there. Photoshop is is an amazing tool. I don't know how to use it, but somebody does my staff, right?
0: Well, and a lot of people these days are still trying to to use those college pictures on their LinkedIn and things like that. So, I mean, nobody ever really looks like they look in their picture in real life. So especially, I I think a lot of people are figuring that out now during COVID with all the Zooms that that nobody really is using an updated picture. So I think we're all (laughs) fine. No. Well, thanks again, Scott, for joining us. This has been a great topic. I think we've learned a lot. Um, you brought up some great points in that we will definitely be highlighting them in the future. Um, and I do feel we'll probably um, be speaking with you again in the near future as things evolve. Um, thank you once again, everyone, for listening. If you know someone that you think would be a great guest for the podcast or you yourself would like to submit yourself, um, please go to the website, Fill out the form. We are always looking for great guests, either financial advisors who have a proven system for growing a practice or have done something really creative to grow their practice, as well as experts and consultants and other providers who help support advisors looking to grow. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and share the podcast as well if you found it useful. And tune in next week as we bring another great guest onto the show. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttenconsultinggroupcom forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you next week.